web any size. Catch your seeds just like flies. Look out! Here comes the Spider-Man. Hello and welcome to another brand new episode of Amazing Spider-Man Classics in association with SpiderManCrawlspace.com. My name is John Wilson and this is a podcast that takes you through every major comic, every guest appearance, and every cameo we can find of the amazing Spider-Man. And, well, this is it folks. Episode 40. The final episode recorded that included the original panel of hosts for this show that is going to be uh, consisting of myself, of course, Josh Bertoni and Donovan Grant. We're also joined once again for one final time by our good friend and guest on many episodes of the show, Stephen Lacey, as we round out the Kingpin trilogy with Amazing Spider-Man 52. Stick around at the end for also some brief coverage of the X-Men 35 and then some discussion of where the show is going from here in case you have forgotten. Amazing Spider-Man 52 was released on or around June 8th, 1967 with a cover date of September. And to take us through all the glorious details, glorious, glorious details, is Josh Bertoni. One issue, glory. Okay, yeah. (laughs) Um, Issue 52, and this is back when the number 52 was just a number 52 back before it was like one of the most important numbers in comics like oh god it's like big symbolic things no i told you i told you josh that we needed to get the new 52 amazing spider-man not (laughs) not the old one oh well i like this one better oh okay so on the cover we have spider-man with his head down in shame or unconscious on top of some metal thing you know handcuffed with jonah on his back jonah is not unconscious and his head's up and he's looking a little more distressed and a little buck tooth too i might add and and that might be because this chamber that they're in has some pipes filling it up with water and wouldn't you know it jonah can't breathe underwater and neither can spidey so one of them might to die a hero, as the cover says. <laughs> One of them might, too. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, we open up with the big uh, splash page that says, To die a hero, Spidey has been defeated by the deceptively powerful Kingpin while trying to save a bewildered J. Jonah Jameson. And now the fantastic finale, produced and presented by Stan the Man Lee and John. Ring-a-ding! Ramita! Embellished by Mickey DeMeo and lettered by Sam Rosen. The Kingman decides that shooting his capture of Jonah and Spider-Man in the head would be too sensible, victorious, <laughs> too easy. I, I I don't know, but either way, he gets he goes the whole James Bond villain route and tosses them in a Batman 1966 as death trap. Jonah and the unconscious Spider-Man are tied up together in a cellar, which is rapidly filling up with water. As you can imagine, Jonah does not shut up for one minute of it with the whole, oh, you can't do this, I'm J. Jonah Jameson, let me go. Okay, I had to interrupt you because Batman was in its first season at this point, which means that that whole, that whole idea of a superhero constantly being tossed in a silly death trap for cliffhangers would have been very, very much in the public consciousness at this point. I wish they kind of had done that at the end of the last uh, issue. Like, set him up in the pouring water at the end of 51 and ended it with, what's this? Spider-Man underwater? Or something like that, you know, silly. It would have yeah. been cool. That's the way I would have done it if I had been God. That's, that, is, I, that is actually interesting. Haven't they already done Spidey 
trapped, endangered, imperiled by water rushing in. <laughs> no, they have never done yeah, that. Yeah, but it worked so well the first time. <laughs> I know. We should always reuse our tropes. Well, I think, I think now, that, now that you mentioned that, that Batman was just starting the Tailwind show, I think that they, have a, they have a James Whoa. Bond mindset rather than a Batman mindset. Well, the Kingpin decides that, you know, it's... Uh, these are the type of things that you don't want to, you know, watch. You know, you don't want to make sure that these things worked out according to plan. So he, like, shuts the door and, you know, uh, w- w- walks away. Jonah hopes that Spider-Man will wake up and talks about Spider-Man's progress to no one in particular except for himself. Like, Spider, for the love of what? He's waking up. He's beginning to stir. The gas must be finally wearing off. <laughs> Who are you talking to? It's uh, Foswell's invisible roommate. <laughs> oh, okay. Right, yeah. Or, or Mystique. <laughs> Spider-Man still looking down. Iron bands around my wrist. Father setting in higher by the second. That means the Kingpin is trying to finish us. I know that whenever I'm recovering from being punched in the head, the first thing I do is start talking. And then Jonah says, we don't need a blasted Huntley Brinkley report. <laughs> Who are you to um, talk? Yeah, two panels earlier, you're like, oh, he's waking up. He's lifting his head. Now he's looking this way. <laughs> Do y'all know who Huntley and Brinkley are? Yeah, Chet, Chet Huntley is, is, is like a famous 50s reporter. Yeah, um, Huntley and Brinkley Report was the primetime news program of NBC at this time. Just, uh, just you know, throwing that out and there. Now, now you know. And now you know, and knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe. So Spider-Man busts out of the bands because, hey, he has spider strength. And Jonah still yells, that's right, even if you do get us free, then what? Even you can't breathe for long underwater. If you'll clam up a few minutes, maybe neither of us will have to. Don't try to kid me, Webhead. We're done for and you know it. Of all the people who spent my last minutes on Earth with it had to be, hey, I did it. My hands are free now. Big deal. What are you going to do? Breathe through your fingers? Jameson, did anyone ever tell you you're an itch? Um, and the, the, this is the edited version in the in the Marvel Max series. You know, he he actually says "bitch." <laughs> yeah, sure he does. Nice. Family wrote that in. <laughs> so Spider-Man starts shooting his webs in the air, leaving Jonah very, very confused, and of course, very, very talkative. Cut to the Daily Bugle, where we get you know one of our one of our most important introductions ever. Oh yes. Meanwhile, at the offices of the Daily Bugle, Ned, what happened? Why is the door broken? Where is Mister Jameson? I don't know, honey. I just got here, but something is mighty wrong. Ned picks up the phone with sheer determination on his face. First, Oswell is missing. <laughs> Must grab receiver, raise to ear, vocalize through mouthpiece. No, Ned, I can't let you pick up the phone. It's too dangerous. Let me <laughs> wait, wait. That, that's yours, that Aunt May. Peter, you can't pick up the phone without the a jumper person. on. Ned, no! Whatever the danger is, we'll face it together. She doesn't actually say that, except she does. <laughs> Different of the series. I'll call Robertson. He's the other. Maybe he can fill us in. Don't bother, Leeds. I'm right here. I've been here all along. Hello? Is it me you're looking for? <laughs> <laughs> And we get like flashbacks to like all the times that Robbie's been there for Leeds throughout his life. As Ned, <laughs> as Ned Leeds took his first steps, as Ned Leeds, you know, <laughs> his bike up, I, said, I can do it, Robbie. I'm riding. I'm very proud of you, Leeds. <laughs> I just can't do it, Robbie. <laughs> uh, you know my rod and luck. 
It was you, Robbie. It was you all along guiding me, <laughs> inspiring me. Yes. And now you know what you must do? Yes, I must. Rob. Robbie behind that. <laughs> it's, which is weird. Like, Robbie, Robbie appears in a panel as if from thin air. I'm right here. I'm right here, and it's Greek to me. I just sent for the police. There must be something wrong. Jameson would never take off without telling us. I figure he's been abducted, and we gotta find out why. I'll hold down the desk while you see what you can recover. Let's go, boy. There's no time to waste. I'm on my way, Robbie. I'll keep in touch with you. Ned, wait! You're not a crime reporter! That's Foswell's job! What if it's something dangerous? I couldn't bear if something happened! Don't say it, Betty. I have a job to do, and I've got to do it the best I can. And then there's pages of ads. Now stop worrying, honey. The next issue blurb said that someone will die, and it's not going to be me, because I'm telling you not to worry, and I'm telling you I'm going to get a Pulitzer Prize, and we're going to hang it up after we get married. So there's absolutely nothing to worry about. This is not setting up for my eventual death. Now where's my hat? <laughs> Which, um, did I talk about this? Yeah, yeah, we talked about this on the air for the last episode, but yeah, it's a very, very, like, big fiction trope that, like, somebody's like, I'm going to get a prize for this, and then we're going to get married. You'll see. It'll all be great. So with that in the next issue blurb, he, he, yeah. He runs, out, he runs out the door and, like, he's gunned down. Yeah. <laughs> he runs out the door and the foreigner's men, like, kill him. He's like, no, wait, this isn't supposed to happen for another 200 and something issues. Sorry, leads. No! <laughs> and he's like, what about Betty? Will, 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 will she be safe? Oh, she's already making out with Flash Thompson. She's <laughs> It actually has been for a while. You just didn't know. In the background with Robbie. And then Betty, you know, looks dramatically at Ned, wondering if she's always going to be haunted by the threat of danger. Meanwhile, Jameson's continuing to yell, panic, and complain as Spider-Man frantically uses his webs to create an air bubble around Jonah and him makes sense. Too bad the plan will never work because obviously Fisk is using one of his secret mirrors to watch the whole thing go down, just like last issue with Foswell. Oh. Except he's not. He's not? Really? That might have been helpful. Okay, well. Well, that means that Fisk's men outside the door don't realize. Oh, dear. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Fisk's men, which uh, he's not called Fisk in the story, but for simplicity's sake, I'm calling him Fisk. Fisk's men are ordered to... He won't be called Fisk until uh, Daredevil. Yeah. And Militech says he will always be Kingpin. Even at one point, they call his wife Mrs. K in, like, Amazing Spider-Man issues, which is, like, as, as in Mrs. Kingpin. Yeah, she, her name's Vanessa, but we don't know her last name until Daryl. That's, that's like, let's say that your uh, your nickname was, I don't know, Scooter, and it, your wife was known as Mrs. S. <laughs> Even though your surname's Batoni or Grant, it's just like, what? Why? Well, I don't know, didn't you call, um, didn't you call Eddie's wife Mrs. Eddie? Yeah, I did. <laughs> Hi, Eddie. Brad's <laughs> wife is known as Mrs. Carl Space on the show, so... I guess it works. In the context of it, it's really weird, but yeah. So, the men are ordered to come in and dispose of the bodies, which... What? What? Why didn't you just dispose of the bodies before... Okay, whatever. Yeah, this is why... This, this is why you're always losing power and regaining it, because of boneheaded decisions like this. The reason why he's doing it, it he's saying, oh, they'll, they'll be gone this by now, but let's just wait another 30 seconds to be sure. Like, no one's ever held their breath for 30 seconds. He just said, yeah, you know, let's come back in a day. Let's come back in a day and just really be sure. They'd have been dead. That bubble doesn't hold enough air. 
but no, just 30 seconds. That's all we need. Moron. Moron. <laughs> <laughs> moron. So, so Spider-Man busts out of this web cocoon. Oh, yeah! And <laughs> And fights through the wave of the Kingpin's men while Jonah is still just sitting there complaining. So Spider-Man decides, all right, I got to get him out of here. And it's, and it doesn't really work out too well because Jonah, you know, just like kind of stands there. So Spider-Man finally decides to send away by saying, don't worry. This is your chance to get back to the bugle and tell everyone what a big, brave hero you are. And then Jonah doesn't listen. And he says, I've got to shock him into escaping. Jameson, I said move or you'll be my next target. <laughs> so that spooks Jonah because it, it's it's the whole thing that like all the Marvel heroes do to break up their girlfriends. I gotta be a douche. The, it's the only way to save their life is to act like a douche. I mean, in fairness, Jonah was in shock. He he was like scared and wasn't moving. I knew it. You're mad, uncontrollable. Your attack, you'll attack anyone just to prove your power. You're even more of a menace than I said you were. Well, I had to do this the hard way, but at least I got him the run. And run, Jonah does <laughs> right into. <laughs> pretty much like this, this is like someone will, will do a caption of this on like 4chan or something it'll say like fail or, or you know what this is have you seen uh, I want to say Star Trek 5 it's my favorite of the Star Trek films which I've never seen uh, okay <laughs> no. Scotty's sent off to go and do something in the ship to help regain control and he goes don't worry I know this ship like the back of my hand at which point he walks into a pipe and knocks himself unconscious and he's like unconscious for half the movie yeah are you, are you freaking serious you know, he was a big oh, yeah. guy by then he couldn't you know, that was what Star Trek right. that was what William Shatner considered to be humor whenever he wrote Star Trek 5 William Shatner I thought he just directed it's his movie everything gets blamed on William Shatner I don't care who wrote it that reminds me of the okay. Futurama gag where, like, Spock is text telling, when I wrote Star Trek, uh, insert number here, I had, I had respect for my actors. And then Shatner's like, yeah, when I wrote Star Trek V, I had respect for me. Uh, wasn't that, <laughs> that was the um, Futurama one. That was yeah. Futurama. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so Jonah runs into a pipe, which, I mean, I guess, like, you know, this puts Jonah in the in the running of, like, people who may die this issue. However, unbeknownst to the battling webslinger, Jolly Jaina's escape is suddenly cut short. Thong! As he races into a, and there's a smudge here, into a low-hanging pipe in the gloomy subcellar. So, yay for Jonah. You know, walk much. Meanwhile, Foswell and Fist seem to be disagreeing on the definition of killing. Because Foswell seems to think that you can be a master criminal without having to ever kill in cold blood, even though that's kind of what he was trying to do in issue uh, 10 of Amazing Spider-Man, but whatever. While Kingpin thinks that, no, this wasn't cold blood and murder, I just eliminated them. I didn't kill. I didn't kill like, it's like it, it's like a pointless conversation about like the definition of killing. Like the two issues ago, this guy's like, I'm going to take over the mobs. Now he's like, what? I never wanted to kill anyone. Like, Murder? And you it, dare accuse the keeper of anything as crass as that, even though that's exactly what I just did? Yeah, no, he, like, he takes offense at it, but it's like, okay, what is the difference between what you did and what you're insulted that I'm insinuating you did? And then well, he's, he's going to murder Foswell for saying that he's a murderer. <laughs> in issue 10, when like Peter says, I know who the big man is, he's like, let's take Parker for a ride. And like the enforcers kidnap him. Like, well, what was going to happen then? Like, <laughs> elimination, murder, cold, like, it, it's a stupid conversation. So he decides that it's time to murder or not murder, whatever it is, Foswell. But Spider-Man comes in still alive, which shocks the Kingpin, because the Kingpin took every single procedure to make sure 
sure that Spider-Man would not survive that thing. <laughs> he, well, he, under, he underestimated him by not checking. But we cut to the Silver Spoon, where Flash has returned from Vietnam. You know, the place he went to five minutes ago. <laughs> or didn't. <laughs> yeah, the place where he may or may not have went, like, you know, five minutes ago. And uh, everyone oh, look asked, at him. Look at him, he's walking. Yeah, isn't, isn't it great? Cute? Yeah. Yeah, so so Venom's hanging out at the at the Silver Spoon with the with the Green Goblin. When, uh, I have to say, I, I really dig Gwen's sweater here. Um, that's yeah. pretty awesome. I'd like to dig in the Gwen sweater. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, so let's see. Yeah, Venom and the Green Goblin are there when the Scarlet Spider walks in. We'll see. She might. I, I, I'll, I'll make a point of this a little later, but this is this scene is really insulting. <laughs> really? Yeah, no, I'll, I'll talk about it after after the recap. Now I'm intrigued. We have we have suspense now. Wait for. <laughs> There's not much to tell, kiddos. You must have heard how the Viet Cong wanted to sue for peace as soon as they found out I was there. Old Lyndon Johnson asked me what to do, but I decided he ought to work it out for himself. You let him do it the hard way, a eh, soldier. Like I say, it's very insulting. <laughs> Did it take the army long to teach you humility, Flash? Flash! Is that really fearless Flash? Mary Jane says when she walks in. Good heavens, I thought Rod Cutson had bleached his hair. Mary Jane, you heard I was here, so you ditched Parker. <laughs> Good thinking, pretty girl. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the voices. Ditch him? I haven't seen him for ages. Say, army life must agree with you. Don't aim those eyes at me that way. They might be loaded. Oh, you probably say those same things to all the handsome Blairmas war heroes you meet. Flash turns into Harry for a second. <laughs> like the wolf, yeah, I can't. All these voices in the same room, I can't keep them straight. And then Gwen decides, you know, it's time to throw a party, because we'll, we'll get to that. Oh, Let's yes. face it, group, this calls for a king-size party, like the one that I had, like, three issues ago, like, when Flash left five minutes ago, we threw In between a party. my science. And then five issues before that. Yeah. As soon as Pete gets here, we'll arrange the zingiest wing demon in town. Parker, you gotta be kidding me. He can empty a room just by entering it. Come on, Flash, a good egg, and you know it. Aha, uh-huh. Gwen brainwashed you too. <laughs> and there are laughs everywhere, and everyone's laughing and smiling. <laughs> and then Bulk and Skull walk in. Hey, dweebs! <laughs> <laughs> we told you, Bulk, we don't want any more of your trouble. Oh, yeah, whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, no, the cake for Flash's party has flown in the air. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we need Ring a Ding Ramita to have the wingiest zing ding in town. At Jazzy Gianni's. Yeah, so Flash coming, so Flash coming, basically Flash, you know, being away for five minutes is a big deal. It is enough for Gwen to throw a party. But let's go back to the party at the Kingpin's place. Spider-Man and Kingpin are battling. Foswell grabs a hidden gun and bolts out of there. Kingpin flees after Spider-Man is stunned, and Spidey concludes that this must be because he realizes that Jonah has escaped too, and Jonah might call the cops. And he's like, oh, yeah, I probably should have checked to make sure that Jonah got out of here and didn't, like, hit his head on a pipe and go unconscious. <laughs> and speaking of Jonah and that unconscious pipe, Jonah wakes up because there's a leak from the pipe on his head. Oh, my head. Oh, where am I? What happened? Who's pounding on me with a sledgehammer? I remember now. The kingpin. He tried to kill me. And then Spider-Man threatened me. <laughs> Even Boswell turned against me. 
I love the paranoia in this. What's this on my head? It's wet! It must be blood! I'm wounded! I'm dying! Help! Someone help! Because, like, the water from the pipes are on his head. Yeah. So, what? I have to ask, when did Jonah become such a pussy? <laughs> Spider-Man issue one. <laughs> that's a good question. He's like, he's really cowardly. I think hasn't he, has he been in this much danger before? Uh, well, the Vulture attacked him in uh, Silver um, issue seven, issue seven, and an Amazing Spider-Man Annual one. And the Scorpion. Oh, we had Scorpion. we had the Scorpion going for him yet. Scorpion yeah, has not returned yeah. yet, has he? Well, the Scorpion has attacked him twice already, though. Yeah, because that was the issue where like Betty Brand had a nervous breakdown. Oh, that's right. That was twenty nine. Okay. So yeah, he's definitely shown some cowardice before, but not quite so blatantly as this. Jonah's running, and then these thugs see him, and it's like, yeah, we should probably plug this guy. Jonah runs into Foswell, who tells him that since Jonah's the only one who ever believed in him, he'll protect him. <laughs> and he, gets, <laughs> he dies. <laughs> the, the so, next yeah, he gets he'll protect him till the day he dies, which you know is a panel later where like Foswell. Gets shot, and Jonah decides that like people around him don't know what's going on, so he needs to explain this to no one in particular. You you took that shot that was intended for me. I don't understand. I don't get any of this. What do you mean you don't get? Any? You just described exactly what happened. He's speaking for the invisible reader who just p- decided to pick up a Spider-Man comic and flip to this page. Yes, <laughs> that's, I all, that's all I got. <laughs> Spider-Man shows up to help Jonah and Foswell against the gangsters, but he's too late. Um, he catches the gangsters, but Foswell dies. And, aww. 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 So that's the death this issue. Can we have a moment silence for that? That's not silence. Too late for Doctor. Better this way. I failed at everything. Except for walking in the pipes. You take the cake on that one. Am I right, Jonah? Foswell, <laughs> you're fired! Joke's on you. I'm dead. Foswell, Foswell he's dead. Who can predict what what any man will do? Foswell sacrificed himself to save another. Jameson had gambled right for once. He gave an ex-con a job, a second chance. And when the chips were down, Foswell betrayed him. Oh, I mean, Foswell repaid (laughs) (laughs) him. The only way he could with his life. I don't know how or why he got involved with the kingpin. But there's only one thing to know. When Fred Foswell breathed his last, he died a hero. Huh? Ah, uh, get it, Spidey? The title of the title of this issue? Huh? Oh, huh? I never even realized that. Huh? Yeah, yeah. He didn't so. really die, though. He uh, he actually just transferred universes and woke up as Sam Foswell in the DCU and went to go work at the Daily Bugle, where he became managing <laughs> editor. Took over for Perry White while Perry White had to go on vacation, deal with his marriage issues. Fired uh, Jimmy Olsen and then got fired himself when Perry White came back. And then he got involved with uh, Blaze and became a demon, like a Fosgoyle kind of thing down in the Blaze Satanus War. So yeah, um, Sam Foswell. I prefer that he regenerated into the ultimate universe where he's like, at last, a universe where I'm not alive. All right, Foswell, you're on. Oh, crap. <laughs> Sorry, did you just say at last, the universe where I'm not alive? Oh, where I'm not dead, excuse me. Okay, so Ned Leeds shows up at the scene, you know, what? Very, very late, but whatever. And Spider-Man already silently pegs him as Foswell's replacement. No, no, you know, noting, yeah, you know, 
he'll replace Foswell as the crime reporter because he'll never make the mistakes that Foswell did, like teaming up with a fist or get his throat slit in Germany. Yeah, everything's going to be okay. And with that, <laughs> and with that, the issue ends. Well, with Spider-Man, like you know, like you know, oh well, all's well that ends well. There's probably a moral, but I'm too tired to think about what happened to me. I'm just going to go sleep. There's like, probably a moral, you know. One of my coworkers who I've known since I was a teenager is dead. Huh. Uh, the Kingpin got away, you know. Ned Leeds has a promotion, but uh, yeah, all's well that ends well. But alas, there's not much slumber in Spidey's future, and you'll know the reason why as soon as we tell you that our next bombshell issue features the incredible villainy of a villain you've never heard of before. <laughs> Brand new. No, Dr. Octopus. Of course. We'll do anything we say. Of course you will. You are completely at the mercy of Dr. Octopus. Da! And a wrong musical cue. <laughs> well, thank you for that uh, recap, Joshua. Why do I call you Joshua? I don't know. He's yours, mother. I'll just call you Lappin from now on. Nobody does. Like, Lappin is completely, like, I don't mind, but, like, Lappin's, like, completely disappeared from my... <laughs> <laughs> like, like there... During the, like, press release for, like, me being on the new podcast, it's, like, Josh Bertoni. It's always Josh Bertoni. And uh, when I go, <laughs> it's, 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 it's really funny. But Mary sign- Jane Parker. How do you sign your checks? Laughing Bertoni or just Bertoni? You would know because you have a check from me. I didn't look. I mean, I, 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 I did spend 10 hours learning to forge your signature, but I forget exactly how it goes. Um, I, sign, <laughs> I sign everything Laughing Bertoni or LB, but uh, it's... Uh, yeah, I'm basically my uh, the Latin part of my last name is usually reckoned out for the purpose of uh, of being brief. New fifty two, Josh Bertoni, now with full hyphenated name. I'm dropping this. Wow. They, they, they didn't. They reckoned out Lappin. How could they do that? It has such a long history. I know, right? <sighs> That's another book I'm not picking up. Okay, so to die a hero, we start off with um, the James Bond death trap, and. Um, they're carrying Spider-Man, which I think is kind of funny, and they're talking about how, uh, I thought a guy as strong as Spider-Man would have been a heck of a lot heavier. Maybe he's drinking NoCal. What's the difference? And NoCal, get ready for this. Oh, God. Was the first zero-calorie soda. It launched in 1952, and it had special flavors like chocolate and blackberry, back whenever randomly-asked flavored sodas were popular. Chocolate soda. Ugh. It's been popular, but I don't care much for it. I've tried it. But um, the the, pro, the drink was already dwindling in popularity by this point because Coca-Cola and PepsiCo had both introduced their own diet drinks, which were flooding the market. No one's ever heard of Diet Coke or Diet Pepsi, though. You know, you know what also is weird about it? They have an unconscious Spider-Man, and they don't remove his mask. <gasps> You're right. That's because Sam Raimi's not directing this scene. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do dig how, like, even... Uh, on the top of page two, when they, they still have the shadowy figures in the background carrying Spider-Man. Like, instead of just, you know, making it a blank purple background, there is an extra detail in there that makes me happy. Yeah, it's the thing's skin. What'd y'all think of the Death Trap? Why? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bullets to the head. Easier, surely. Like, it's not like they were like, you know, if it makes it look like they drowned, the heat's off of us. Like, that's not what they were trying to do. Or like, like, like we'll, we'll be completely free from suspicion. Us, the people that no one know about. <laughs> there was no point. Having said bullets to the head, this does remind me of another time that Spider-Man and Jonah Jameson are tied up together in a room. 
and James actually gets a bullet to the head. There's another time oh, when yeah. they're tied up together that Jason goes to pull off his mask. Yeah, he oh, never no, does, Pete, though. <laughs> Pete is already unmasked at that point, and Jameson knows that he's Spider-Man. How does Jameson survive that? Uh, the bullet passed three centimeters uh, to the. If it gone three centimeters to the left, he would have been completely and utterly dead. But he it managed to avoid his brain. What story are we talking about? Ultimate Spider-Man. Yeah, the comedian. Oh right, story. yeah, yeah. Oh was... yes, I'm sorry. I was I was trying to reach because really when they shoot Jameson in the head, there is no doubt that they have just shot Jameson in the head. Yeah. I mean, I think we were talking about it on Facebook, like, the night after it. It's like, I can't believe they had the balls to shoot Jameson in the head and have him totally dead. And it's like, oh, he's back. Yeah. <laughs> so, they, so they didn't have the balls. No, they were there. No, but that, that was a, I mean, you sort of read, finished that issue and put it down was like, wow. It was really, really powerful until it didn't happen. Yeah. But then there was a really like good issue where there. it's just the two of them talking afterwards. Where you know Jameson does things like set up college funds for him, which I guess worked out financially quite well for him. What with uh, Parker dying two weeks later, <laughs> <laughs> now that have to fund his tuition. Brilliant. It's a good thing though that whenever they were handcuffing Spider-Man and Jonah Jonah Jameson here, they um, the cuffs are connected to the seat because if they had been like handcuffed and chained together, Spider-Man wouldn't have been able to get out. Like what kind? Of, yeah, what is that thing? It's like it's like it's built into the ground, but it's handcuffs. It's like I thought it might be a drain or something, but there's handcuffs on it. It's, it was built it for this me, special it purpose. Batman Venom, where Bat, Batman was in pretty much the same death trap. You, you just gotta wonder what that what the point of that room is for. But it's also kind of handy that they uh, put Spider-Man in the pose that he's in, so his legs are underneath him, so he can get the power to snap the handcuffs to use his legs to provide extra force. <laughs> Make sure no one put like, him down there. Make sure to give him leverage. Yeah. No if one they, can survive if they that. Him like Jonah, then he did just been like, I can't get out of it, can't get out of it. And if he'd been handcuffed to Jonah, any attempts to pull on the manacles would have just pulled on Jonah's arms. Yeah. He would but have had to rent- where the bus comes in, they could have just slipped out of it. <laughs> exactly. We have a first appearance, we're first confirmed named appearance on page four, at least. Official introduction to Robertson as the city editor. We saw him in one panel last issue. We talked about that briefly last episode. But here he is, walking in out of nowhere, like he's always been there. I'll call Robertson. He's city editor. Maybe he can fill us in. Don't bother Leeds. I'm right here, and it's Greek to me. I just sent for the police. I've been here all along. I love that. (laughs) So... There's only one man to, to, to deal with this. Joseph Robbie Robertson. I couldn't agree with you more because I've been here the whole time. What are we going to say with this? Has he been here the whole time? Did he just get promoted? I thought uh, he was new. And I think it's been established that he's new. Like in later source books and biographies. Like I know I found one that said that like he started working at the Daily Bugle then. And I, I just don't remember it. So it means nothing to the argument now. And just we see him meeting people who if he's been working at the bugle for a long time he logically should have known like we see him meeting peter parker we see him meeting john jameson twice (laughs) we see one of those you know dumb things it's now it's possible that he was a bullpenner or somebody just working in all you know one of the thousand of people who make the um the daily bugle happen every day before he got promoted to city editor. So he might have been in the Bugle for a while before this and just never had a chance to meet uh, Peter, who comes in to sell his photo- photographs and goes out again. But Ned Leeds definitely knows him here, either because he met him as city editor like yesterday 
or because he's just known him around the bullpen or something. Even like that line, like it's it's for exposition purposes. But if if this guy's been working there as this for a while, he wouldn't say, "I'll call Robertson. He's city editor." No, like, no, no. It makes sense. First Fazo missing, and now the boss. I'll call Robertson. He's the next person to the boss. Maybe oh, okay. he can well, fill us a, in. Well, uh, I see. I see what you're saying, John. But at the same time, he's telling Betty who works there. Unless Betty was preoccupied with something else. Uh, but these have been the three episodes of Super Exposition. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> the ongoing saga of Super Exposition. <laughs> yes, I know. You thought this was the Kingpin saga? No, it's the it's the dialogue balloon saga. <laughs> my Marvel Encyclopedia is in the next room. Not my encyclopedia, my Spider-Man Encyclopedia, which has a lot of errors in it anyway. It's the same encyclopedia that said that Ned Leeds like became city editor, which is a total lie. We but need to break out Punisher Year One and see what happens there. Right. Well, it it it, it, it might have been retconned at different points that like Robbie's known Jonah longer, been at the Bugle longer, but yeah. I mean, is Robbie from New York or is he from somewhere else? Straight Arrow. Yeah, that's what I, I, I remember in the in the cartoon that like I think they see he moved to New York or whatever. I think I don't I don't recall, but he's from Liverpool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he is. I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure that um, he's... Uh, he was born in Harlem, New York. For real? Mm-hmm. Tombstone was in Harlem, I remember. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure that, that, that he's new at the Bugle and that I've read it somewhere. I just can't tell you where I've read it right now. And, and that impression was backed up by subsequent issues where, you know, that's how they acted. Okay, so he um, grew up in Harlem... As a teenager, was a classmate of Lonnie Thompson Lincoln, who is later the infamous hitman Tombstone. Uh, as working as a reporter in Philadelphia, Robbie encountered Tombstone, who this time had just murdered one of Robbie's contacts. Tombstone threatened Robertson, and the journalist fled to New York and began working for the Bugle. He told no one of the murder he witnessed. Well, he's from Harlem, but he fled to New York? He went to work in Philadelphia for a while, and now he fled oh, okay. to New York. And then 20 years later, when Tombstone began his career doing jobs for the Kingpin, okay, obviously Wikipedia can be written any damn way they want to write it, but the way that Wikipedia is written, he went to work for the Bugle 20 years ago. Well, no, it says he moved to New York and then worked for the Bugle. Like, that could just mean that's something that happened after he went to New York. That's like, you know, oh, yeah, after that, I don't know, because, you know, I never heard from her because I, you know, moved to this part of the state and I married this girl. And then it doesn't. It doesn't mean that these are subsequent like events. Well, okay. That, it says he he fled to New York to work for the Bugle, and 20 years later, he saw the Tombstone again. I'm looking at uh, the Marvel.com thing because okay. usually they because usually they take that from their like official indexes. But let's see. He and Martha moved back to Manhattan, where Joe became a reporter for the Daily Bugle. Over the next, okay, yeah, it says over the next 20 years he rose to the ranks to become the Bugle city editor. Okay. So, I'm assuming that I'm assuming that 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 they're that if they, if they're you saying like 20 years he became like roast of the ring. I'm assuming that they're not pulling that out of their butt and that's actually like something that they're taking that from a backstory. So I don't know. I I I feel like he's new and I feel like he's new based on like dialogue and subsequent issues. I think in the next issue he's he's formally introduced to Peter. Yeah, I he's feel de- like he's definitely new to the position. And he's new to, like, hanging out with these people because, like, he wasn't in the hospital when Jonah got hit by, like, the, you know, the circus spelled sideways as deaf people. Yeah. You know, Betty and Peter were there. And it's, there's been a lot of events in the Bugle where, like, logically, like, he would have been aware of these people, I think. I don't know. No, I get you. 
He just, I guess, wasn't part of that circle yet. But now he's he always, is. He's always been off-panel guiding that leads through everything. <laughs> the guiding hand of fate. Betty Brant never told you what happened to your father. <laughs> I knew I was half black. For goodness sakes, Lee, use your reporter instincts. I wasn't going to say I was your father, douche. <laughs> God, daddy issues must. Who is my father? It doesn't matter. You're a Spider-Man supporting character. You don't get a backstory. Even Mary Jane will get a backstory for 20 years. You're just Ned Leeds. Even I have a backstory, and I have been here less time than you. Okay, so uh, Betty Brant drama with Ned Leeds. It looks like straight out of a romance comic on that last Mm -hmm. panel of page four. Just the same stuff that they've been doing. They did an issue 47, like, no, Ned, don't make this phone call. You know, whatever happened, you know, I love you. And then she thinks about Peter was dangerous. Now Ned's dangerous. It's like, yeah. Which, you lead, know. which, leads, her, which leads her to cheat, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. You know, poor, poor baby. This this reporter that, that she was dating that got sent into war zones is doing dangerous things. My my note on this scene is Brant Tony. Because that, that's... that's uh, <laughs> <laughs> the ultimate shipper. <laughs> um, we talked about how Jason was Jameson was being Captain Complainer throughout the story. Well, he's just, he, he's he's freaked the heck out. Like like he his his eyes are big and wide. He's like clenching his teeth. He's really he, he's freezing. He's like freaking scared, and um, he's not like wanting in Spider Man much. as like you know, oh, get me out of here. What's going on? What's going on? What's going on? They have guns. The, the water's up to my chin. In a few minutes, it'll all be over. Oh, it's boiling acid. My glasses are burning. Batman Forever reference. You know what's interesting that I have a note. I have a note in this issue. Kingpin actually looks kind of small and short compared to like the last couple of issues, especially in page ten and eleven. Like Falswell looks taller than him, and then he does it in, in the panel, the second panel. You're right. Yeah, He's definitely kind of short and squat looking there. Maybe his cane, which always looks really teeny in the two previous books. Oh, no, that got destroyed, so it wouldn't look the same size as him. Never mind. So, page 12, we're in the Silver Spoon. Yeah, Stanley's a douche. Flash shows up from uh, behind the trash can around the corner. Hey, guys. Huh, Iraq is... Iraq is I, I mean, not I, Vietnam, sure hot. Man, all those sand and all those desert. Oh, Flash, you're such a killer. Everyone knows that Vietnam's a jungle. Oh, well, you know, you don't know the battlefield like I do, Harry. You know, I'm, um, you know. have you met any exotic Vietnam girls, Flash? Why, sure. You know, uh, Sean. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a real Flash, Vietnam that's most, name. That's the most unrealistic Vietnam name ever. Cut to, like, when Shashan becomes a character. Don't you, don't you think this is an extremely poor taste for Stanley to be like, like, oh, I, I, I have to come and go whenever I please because, you know, I'm a supporting character for Spider-Man and everything's all good. Like, I mean... Was what is it? Is the idea that he's actually been in combat, or has he just been like trained and is ready to ship off? After he's the letter said that he was heading off soon, so maybe this is his like his farewell tour chance to get a shag before he goes to have his legs blown off, kind of thing. No, he, he he's been in Vietnam at this point. Has I, I'd he? Like, I'm pretty I don't sure. Know. Well, we just like, we just got the letter from him a couple issues ago saying he was going to go off soon. So maybe this he, is like. His little vacation, like, like Stephen just said, so maybe this is like a vacation before he goes. Uh, but he, he does say U.S. conquering here is expect a full turnout when we come waltzing home on furlough. But, yeah. but also, it says that like I mean, we remember when that issue came up. Like this takes place very shortly, like like within the next issue fifty two through fifty two take place like within the same day or maybe, two. 
Maybe the US Postal Service is just a pile of shit. <laughs> he posted it months ago. As opposed to the British Postal Service. We don't have one. Shut up. <laughs> yeah, come on. Who uses the Postal Service anymore? It's called email and text messaging, douches. Actually, yeah, that's kind of true. The uh, US Postal Service, uh, uh, so I read something about them having difficulties and maybe closing down. That, 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 that does not surprise me. But, like, I mean, like, really, like, like, this all takes place in such a short amount of time. I don't, I can't imagine him actually leaving for, for Vietnam. I would guess he hasn't actually made it yet, and that's kind of why he's still, I mean, he's very full of self, himself and bombastic. And I would believe that Stanley would still write him that way, even if he had gone out and served in combat. But given the, con- given the context that we're in right now, I would say that the reason he's being so bombastic and full of himself and confident is because he hasn't actually had combat experience yet. He's just been doing the training, and so he's all full of, you know, full we're of gonna have to We're going to have to read the next issue, because I think, like, he talks about the army life somewhat in there, too. And, I mean, he acts like... They act like he's definitely been overseas. And in issue 47, I feel like they're like, well, off to Vietnam or something like that, so... I feel like he's already been gone, especially, and, uh, you know, what the I disagree. I, I mean, I, I honestly, like, and this is, like, not to say that, like, he, when he, whenever he comes back in New York, he acts kind of the same way. And, like, when he's definitively back from, like, the Army, and then, like, the whole Shashan storyline, he acts a little more like, hey, I've actually seen some wartime. But, like, I don't get a sense that, like, he went off, fought, and then came back for, like, no reason. Like, that, that doesn't make any sense to me. If, if, if you if you say that he's gone off and actually had some some fighting experience, why the hell would he come back like in such a, in like a such a short amount of time after he's already given a letter? What was it about page uh, thirteen that uh, upset you, Don? No, it's just like the whole scene is like you know, huh, hi, I'm back. The, the war is a, a, a barrel of laughs. This Vietnam War that which destroyed America. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm, I'm not I'm not trying to get political, <laughs> but like. Nom. Like this, it's like one of the worst like, like wars in like American history. Like the vet that like everybody's agreeing and smiling, I find is in re- honestly horrible taste. And the I, that's why I, I say that Flash can't possibly have actually left. Otherwise, I think Stanley is really, really, really like being stupid writing this scene. Because if if if, if there is evidence for him actually having left and like had some combat experience, and now he's he's back as soon as he left and like, everything's all fine, I just. There's no, there's no way in hell that happened. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. I, I can't, I can't, I can't rationalize that. I didn't think about that when I was reading it, but earlier when you said that you, uh, when you pointed out the dialogue there at the top of page thirteen, that was uh, insulting. I was kind of thinking about it, and I kind of, kind of saw where you were coming from because, I mean, Stanley went to war. Stanley served II. in Europe in World War Two, and. No one enjoys going to war. He should have realized, you know, how terrible things are over there. And to have Flash come back and just laughing about, you know, oh, they, they, they can't win without me there. And, uh, you know, the president, he wanted me to help him out, but I told him, you know, go fuck himself. And uh, that's just <laughs> not what kind of attitude someone would actually have once they were there. Now, I was just looking online to see when our active protests about the, op- about the Vietnam War started up. And they were already going at this time. Um, um, sorry, I have to pick you up on something because I've just had to go and check on it. You said that Stanley served in Europe. Yes, he did. I a thought lot he of did. comic writers did. A lot of comic writers and artists did in in the Silver Age. He, I know he went off to uh, serve in the army. I assume that meant overseas. 
No, stateside in the Signal Corps, writing manuals, training films, and slogans. I, I knew I'd read this that he didn't. He was in the army, but his experience before the war in stuff meant that basically he was stateside. He never served abroad. So, okay, that might be the, Jack Kirby because Jack Kirby did go into war. Jack Kirby actually like. I think he received a medal or something, but Stanley. I don't. I don't, I don't know if Stanley actually saw any combat experience. I'm I thought I'd read that Sergeant that. Fury was kind of based on some of the some of the things that he saw. Yeah, Kirby. Kirby went to war and was in Normandy uh, after D Day, but yeah, Dan Lee wasn't. I'm kind of cheating a little bit because I'm looking ahead at the next few issues to see if like what references Flash makes and like people saying, "Oh, Flash is back," or "Oh, this or that," because uh, he's. He's in the next issue, like like in the same thing. But like, do you see what? Can can you guys legitimize if he's been off to war that he's? It, it, do you think it's, it's at all possible that he's gone off to war or he's fought and now he's back for like I don't know summer vacation or whatever? Like, do you think that's at all possible? What, what, whether whether he's off or not, that is insulting. Like, it's insulting if he hasn't gone to war, and it's insulting if he has. I'm I, I, and I didn't, I didn't realize until like over the recap, it's like everybody's just grinning and grinning and grinning and grinning and grinning. Let's have a, the zingiest wing dean in town. They're, they're always like, grinning. That's why when you said like, "Well, look at them. They're smiling when they say that flashing winter dating," but they smile about everything. They're like, "Well, the um, the abuses." Would you believe a heart attack? The abuses that we heard about that we started ri- uh, protesting about, and there were riots and everything as a result. Those are still just a little bit in the future, like 1968, 1969. So yeah, it, yeah. yeah. The feeling, the American feeling about the war hasn't gotten to the point where it's going to get. I, I, knew, I do know that. I, I do know that like, the, the overall the, the sentiment that people will have on the, on the Vietnam War isn't here yet. But I think that like, the idea that like, they got into the – I mean it's, it's, I don't think the, that the general idea is like, oh, this is another war that America will fix. Yuck, yuck, yuck. And really like – I don't know. It's, it's, it's just it, – it just seems so – because there, there's a couple of issues. There's a few issues down the line where Peter says, "Poor Flash, he's in a war that no one wants to fight," which, which is I think it's in the John Buscema run, like which is like, a, like ten or so issues from here. You were asking me, Don, when Flash goes back. Um, you see him next issue, and yeah. it doesn't look like you see him after. I'm about to check Marvel chronology because I just check. I'm like I'm up to issue fifty six now, and I have not seen Flash since issue fifty three. I think when the when the when Doctor Octopus comes with that like. Like he he attacks like nuclear like like international diplomats or whatever. I know, I think Flash leaves then, but is that in the next essential? Yeah, you're you're thinking of like because again, Flash Cam comes back a lot. Like he does. Oh, Flash no, is back after fifty three. He's gone until seventy two. That's two years, or a year and a half. Uh, are you sure it's not sooner than seventy two? Yeah, because seventy two. That's that's a year before Gwen dies. I mean, he, he's, he's back no, no, no. Good Gwen dies in one twenty. That's five. Still five years. Five. She, uh, she dies in nineteen seventy three. He's talking about. He's talking about issue seventy two. Yeah, issue seventy two. He definitely goes in the combat because at one point Gwen makes a big deal to say that Flash is a man that's been in combat, and you do see flashbacks later on to like Flash being in combat, like you know with Shashan's hidden temple in the sky. And well, stuff. I think that like the next time you see Flash come back from Vietnam, he by that time he probably has fought. And he probably has the same attitude, but like to me, it's like he leaves in forty-seven. You get a letter from him in fifty, and then in fifty-two, he comes back and go, "Oh yeah, the, the war is great." Like, but if you look, go by the chrono- chronology of <laughs> some chronology of Spider-Man quitting, and then the Kingpin sets up his uh, his uh, his uh, crime wave. It's all on the same like day of of the of the chronology of the characters. Like, it's not like months at, or later. Oh, like, I'll do better for you because once we get to the first brainwasher story. 
like when the kingpin fights him, he's like, "Oh my god, it's the kingpin! I haven't seen him in many, many months." But oh, like I the chronology know. of the brainwasher story, like that follows immediately after the Doctor Octopus amnesia story, which follows immediately after the story that we just covered now. Because like the very first part of it, he's reading like a newspaper article on Fred Foswell who just died. Yeah, I have, I have it right in front of me. So like, yeah, like. So maybe, like, it's a week or two weeks since he's seen the Kingpin, and he's like, it's been months. And and uh, and two weeks is, like, a very, very big estimate. Yeah, a lot of the, the, the next several issues, like, flow together, like, one after the other. There's not a time skip. It's, it's not, like, from, like, issue 45 to 46 or something. Or 46 to 47. Whenever yeah. he shows up in 72, they're really surprised to see him. It's whenever Peter and Gwen walk into the... Uh, the coffee shop and he's sitting there's like oh it's flash thompson and he immediately goes into flirt with gwen mode and um peter's like bitch please peter gets really really upset and then gwen gets upset that peter overreacts but whenever he doesn't he doesn't show up again for six months in issue 78 and he's just there well so i think from- that, I th- there are two issues with this first of all the the, the, the continuity is screwed and the, and the second <laughs> this early in the game and the second i think that like this general idea of like, oh, I can come and go whenever I please, and you know we'll have a grand old time. It, even if it was, even if any war, I just find that very, very. I almost can't believe Stanley wrote that. It's 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 summer camp. It's like you said. It's like you know, dear. He said his dear Gwen. You know, we all bake brownies tonight in Vietnam. It was awesome. You know, and we told well, ghost stories, and you know, I have a crush on the girl from the next camp. When he was off the page for twin for. 18 months I, I imagine they probably felt like that was long enough but it, it shouldn't really have been long enough and then when he leaves again after 83 he's not back until 105 okay wait uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm looking at issue 50 when? again where um where Gwen's reading Flash's letter it doesn't say that Flash is like getting ready to ship out he said like Peter's just said the most that's said is Peter says boy you know he gives the VCs 24 hours to clear out when he gets there which like is probably the battlefield or the like. It doesn't say where Flash is. Is the VC supposed to stand for Viet Cong? Yeah, the Viet Cong. Yeah. yeah. Oh God. <laughs> so so yeah. th- everyone else is definitely assuming that he's been overseas. That's definitely what's on the page. Well, he's writing them a letter, so he's, and it's taken that letter some time to get there, obviously, because you know it doesn't say that he's back. But yeah, there's nothing in issue fifty that says that like he's getting ready to ship out the. The implication is is that he's already there, and when he comes back, the implication is that he's already there. So, in the absence of evidence that he hasn't been to Vietnam yet, I'm assuming that he's been to Vietnam, and that stands just stupid. I think that by this point, like, what does this letter say again? She says, "Okay, it says, move over, Mister P. You found yourself a pigeon. Just got a letter from our swinging soldier boy, Fearless Flash. Let's see." And then he's reading the letter. And he says he's the same old Helen Hotshot. He gives the VCs 24 hours to clear out when he gets there. Okay, to me, that sounds like future tense. Like he's he's telling them, I'm giving them 24 hours to clear out once I get there. So he has When he gets there, though, like that's like when he gets to the battlefield, as if like it's something that he's doing on a on a basis. Like when I get to class, you know, I always tell them this. No, we're gonna we're gonna start the recording when you get here. As opposed to we start the recording when you get here, which is... It's a discrepancy of the terms, but I think that, like... Yeah, it can be taken both ways. Yeah, basic training, 
for some reason he was allowed like a, like a, like a couple of nights in New York, and then he's about to leave. I don't think he's been there yet. That's I, that's the way I'm going to choose to read it. Even if it's, it could be read both ways, but I'm going to choose to read it as Flash has not actually seen battle yet, he's and that's a, why he's still being an asshole about it. Because he's already done that stuff, like reporting to the draft board. Like he did that way before his party. Like he did the physical and like the basic training. Do we know that he went basic training? Because uh, basic training takes a while. Yeah, no, no, he was not in basic training in issue forty-seven. Not in Stanley time. <laughs> oh yeah yeah flash you're back and then harry says who's minding the war for you soldier yeah th- yeah they're all definitely teasing him about having gone off to war but i'm going to say there's enough wiggle room to say that he didn't okay well i think he's at least left the country he's writing i, 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 disagree. And- I disagree because like if, if if he has if he has it makes stanley look really bad in my eyes well having, everyone, everyone's having- smiling Having dated a girl for two months while her fiancé was off at basic training, you do get letters during that time. Having not dated a girl who's, who's gone off with somebody who's been basic training, I wouldn't know. <laughs> There's my perspective. That's, that's useful. <laughs> just saying, just saying you, you can get letters while they're off. Oh, um, 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 So changing scenes to the party. Yes. Yeah. The party, yeah. Issue 42. Just off the top of my head, 10 issues ago, I don't know if there's any earlier examples. I might go back and count them later. Issue 42, Gwen's throwing a party. Issue 47, she's throwing a big going-away party for Flash, which has talked about the previous issues. Issue 50, she invites Peter to a party at her house, which he can't go to. Issue 52, Flash is back, and even though she just threw him a party in 47, she's like, Hey, I have an idea. Let's throw a king-size ring-a-ding party. (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh it, like for all those people who say that Gwen well everyone knows that Gwen was all about science science has not been mentioned once by her except in the case of like doing homework with Peter this is like this, this is like her fourth party that she's thrown in the span of 10 issues and that's just what I'm looking at maybe this doesn't become a thing maybe this is the last reference for a while but I'm gonna start counting Gwen's parties and just party like of all the character traits that people choose for Gwen, because it just annoys me. Like, oh, in the Amazing Spider-Man trailer, she has a lab coat. Well, that makes sense, because everyone knows that Gwen Stacy was always about <laughs> science. And then in, like, the Greg Wiseman Spectacular series, which was good, it's like, well, we logically made Gwen a dork, because, you know, everyone knows that, you know, she was a science geek, just like Peter was. It's like, the, her most defining character trait is something that's mentioned next issue and is never mentioned again. Meanwhile... Her character traits in these issues are throwing four consecutive parties. And uh, it, it, it just annoys me that that's like Gwen's most defining character trait. And it's something that we never see. Meanwhile, she throws a party every every two issues. <laughs> I love I love I love when you get upset. <laughs> so you're saying you wish they would go back to pre flashpoint, Gwen? What I, I wish that when I wish that people wouldn't say, well, this is a logical thing for Gwen to be do-. like in House of M. She was a scientist with Peter, and I remember people saying then, yes, yes, that makes sense. They get it. They did their research because Gwen likes science. We all know that. Like, it's, it's very numbskulled. It's become this like retcon thing about her character. Like Aunt May selling shoelaces in that one fantasy sequence of Amazing Spider-Man issue four. What if we decide to make that her defining character trait in all forms of media? That like Aunt May's always starting shoelace selling businesses, or you know, selling shoelaces online, or making shoelaces and telling Peter about the sales trends of shoelaces. Well, it makes sense. They should do that in a new Spider-Man movie because there's just as much of a foundation for that as Gwen being a scientist. What it is is that people are just like like people. Who learn? Who think they learn one thing that most people don't know? 
in one instance take that for granted and judge it over the entire thing without doing the research. It's just it's just a sign of people in the, people in the industry not doing the research, being very lazy. Long story short. So speaking of the kingpin wailing on Spider Man, <laughs> because we're talking about that. Oh, good, because I kind of got lost with this one a while back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have more. We have more Kingpin versus Spider Man. You know, wow, he's so fu- he's so fast. Oh, actually, and uh, page uh, fourteen, Kingpin gives the whole point. You know, uh, I'm three hundred pounds of solid muscle and, and no fat whatsoever. Kingpin not not having any fat. That's like that's just something he tells himself to make it feel better. Yeah, he well, uh, <laughs> looking in the mirror. I don't have any fat on my body. I'm so strong. Vanessa, I'm not fat. I'm like, no, of course not, dear. You're you're fun. You're not fat. Bones. You're big bone. That's what I say. You're 300. Like she's like so disinterested. You're 300 pounds of muscle. Thank you, Vanessa. Well, 350 pounds of awesome. I think this would be a good time if I could find it. Daredevil 170, famous for being the first time the Kingpin turns up in Daredevil. It's the about the third issue that Frank Miller is both writing and penciling although he's been penciling the title for about 10 or 12 issues so he brings the kingpin in the first thing we see is the kingpin at his retreat in japan in a small black loincloth and he's being attacked by what looks like anywhere between four and a dozen martial arts type people um, they're just never all in the same panel at the same time. And the Kingpin basically, in the course of 17 seconds, beats the crap out of them. Um, but because he's in a long cloth, you get to see what he's made of. And whilst there might be a little bit of belly fat, it's pretty much blocky, thick, chunky muscle. Whether that's realistic or not, that's how the Miller's taking his cues from uh, the idea that he is... Uh, was it 300 pounds of solid muscle? Right. He's not just taking the how he's going to depict the muscle throughout the whole of this issue. Miller's drawing the kingpin uh, very much uh, as John Romita would be drawing it. So you, what you're seeing, yes, there's Miller's specific sort of art style in it, but he's toning it right back to give the John Romita one. Uh, and at the very end of the issue, he has the kingpin blow up uh, a building. And then whilst the flames are highlighting his face, there's three panels. One where he's looking at the camera. The next way he's almost completely enveloped in shadow as he uh, puts a cigarette into his, light, uh, into his mouth. And he lights the cigarette on the final panel. And he's always said in interviews that this was how he made the kingpin his own. It's how he mm-hmm. would draw it to John Romita. But that lighting of the cigarette was the moment where he went, I'm putting that to one side. This is now my kingpin. Yeah, I've seen in a video interview him saying that before. And I think it's really, really – I think it's really cool. And it's also very respectful of him to like – take what's come before and then turn them into something new after that acknowledgement. And looking sort of flicking forward, there is a big difference in how the you know, spatial structure and certainly the, what he does as a character is very different after this point. And yeah, I, I just like the fact that it, it, it is the respect and it's the influence of how Mr. Ramita or ring-a-ding Ramita, just to keep that one alive, um, the strength of what he's done and the influence of it across the years. Well, Miller said that he considered uh, that the, the, the talk around the bullpen was a uh, kingpin was like a joke villain for Spider-Man. Yeah. So, what do you guys think about him as a villain? Think he's an effective villain? Do you like what he's, do you like his outing and as a new villain, Spider-Man now, around issue fifty-two? He's a fat gangster, which doesn't make, really make much of a difference. It's fat Joe, thin gangsters we've had so far. At Tony. 
I wouldn't call him a joke villain, but I also wouldn't call him like a big arch nemesis or anything. I mean, I think he's pretty effective as a baddie, but I don't think he is to Spider-Man what he would later become to Daredevil, like by any stretch. Oh, no, not yeah. he, he, he can't be. He can't be. Daredevil changed his character forever. Like, like even even his motivation and the way he's drawn, like the version that you saw in the Spider-Man animated series, that was the Daredevil version, the Frank Miller version. Mm-hmm. And I was just looking to see when all he shows up in Spider-Man's career before he goes over to Daredevil. We have this story, Brainwasher, Time Tablet, and Schemer. Those are all between issues fifty and one hundred. No, there's also there's also an appearance with like. Um... He, he doesn't he like he like kidnap Spider Man then like kick him out of a car or whatever. That's that's in the Lynn Wine Run I think. His last Daredevil, his last appearance before Daredevil is um in uh. And in he Marvel. has a Marv Wolfman run appearance. In the Marv Wolfman run because that's because that because that sets up his Daredevil appearance like when he retires from crime for good like after midnight he's not allowed to commit any crimes or his wife will divorce him. Right. So the last thing he's gonna do is murder the fuck out of Spider Man. And like <laughs> And it's eleven fifty nine and he's like, Alright, I'm gonna kill you then it like the clock strikes and then and then she's like, Okay, I'm ready to go to Japan with you and he's like, No, can I just kill Spider Man please? She's like, Sure, if you want a divorce and he's like, Oh uh, 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 I choose you Awesome. It's also worth saying that like in Daredevil, he's written like a realistic. Like in Born Again, if a character like the Kingpin were were to exist, that's how, that's how he, he was being portrayed. Whereas here, he, I think he's a very fat Blofeld, with like with like like the, the trick gas, uh, canes and stuff like that. And yeah, he, he has a strength gimmick, but again, that's sort of like a James Bond idea that someone who who you don't think would be imposing is imposing. And really, in the whole stretch of 100 to the Walmart Wolfman run, there's only one other Kingpin story in 163, 164. So once he's been used a few times in these next 50 issues, he's pretty much off the table until Marv Wolfman says, oh, you're permanently off the table. And then Frank Miller picks him up later. He's in issue 150, but he's a robot. And he's in issue (laughs) one. He's in issue 140 something, but he's just an illusion. And probably 102. Whenever Spider-Man remembers his whole life, he's probably there too, but he's not really there. Um, yeah, and um, in 140 something, like Peter's in his apartment, and like he's on the phone, and like he thinks he thinks he sees the Kingpin about to like take MJ from behind, so he like hurls the phone at her. But it was just an illusion. It was the beginning of the Clone Saga. Oh, so really? we'll see. We'll see a lot of Kingpin over the next, um, you know, couple years of the show, and then he's going to probably go away, you know, for most of the time after that. Uh, the next time we see him is in issue fifty-nine, and uh, if all goes well, we already have a guest slotted for that episode. Um, so we'll uh, we'll reveal that as we get closer to it. But yeah, do we have any other thoughts on the story? Um, rest in peace, Frederick Croswell. You will never be mentioned again, <laughs> more or less. Basically, yeah, of all the people whose deaths Spider-Man has at least been related to, Froswell never gets mentioned. Mm. He does, like, he's been once in a while, but it's, like, really, really rare, and it's when someone's, like, trying to, like, scrape the bottom of the barrel. Um, he was in that He was in that Dan Slott issue from a year ago where, like, every, like, dead person shows up. Because mm, every, every single person that has died well, in a Spider-Man comic book is d- Spider-Man's fault. Well, he's also a page where he's lines. walking, like, doing zigzags across the page, and there's loads and loads of dead people, including, thanks to my experience on this show, Sally Avril. Yep, Sally Avril's there. <laughs> my God, for the untapped time! Yeah, um, she's there. Um, I think he was mentioned in Marvel Knights, because, like, uh, yes. they made a point in Marvel Knights of, like, including some obscure dead characters. and Him and Ben Riley were the ones that made me go, what the, huh, when I first read that? Uh, 
there's another issue where like I was really surprised that he was mentioned. It uh it was in the nineties or so. I Those are the only two ones I I ever remember since here. Oh no. Um he has a daughter. Who, Foswell uh, does have a daughter who will be the second big man. That's right. Oh JR said mentioned that, which doesn't make I never knew about. It's a spectacular Spider Man issue. I don't know where in the run, but it's it's, it's not like, spectacular. It's Marvel team up. And we're just You're so now, right. Of, it is Marvel team up. As of this recording in, in uh, October 1st, 2011, uh, Frederick Foswell hasn't been brought back to life. But um, now that you're listening to this, people in the future, if he has been brought back to life, uh, uh, give us some tissues from the future so we can cry about it. <laughs> so I don't think he needs to come back. I mean, he, he's not a bad character, but he served his purpose. Yeah, he did. He was His place gets taken by Ned Leeds in more ways than one because, like... Obviously, Ned like takes the place. Of the oh board. yeah, we, we found a lot of coincidences with those characters last night. Well, some some of those were contrived, but like basically, whenever you needed a reporter or like someone to go undercover in a Spider-Man story, it was Foswell. And then, like basically, from now until Ben Urich's introduction, anytime you ever need a reporter in a Spider-Man story, it, it's going to become Ned Leeds or and Lance Bannon. No, Lance is the other paper. Lance is a photographer, That's and Lance. Uh, Lance Lance doesn't become a regular until the two hundreds. Like, but, it, but it's before uh, Ben Urich is introduced. Um, at that point ish, Ben Urich was no Ben Urich was around by the time. Was not, around in, the, not in, in the Spider-Man Daredevil. books. Maybe in Daredevil, but not in Spider-Man. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. But uh, because Ben Urich predates Miller. Like that's another thing too. Yeah. Uh, one five three. And Miller came on board in the I want to say 160s. I could be right. sure if I could. F- oh, there we are. He, Miller's first issue as a penciler. I got to pick these up. Is a 158, and the first as a writer is 168. Yeah, there was a lot of love shenanigans going on in that first Miller issue because it was like Black Widow, Heather Glenn, and Matt's secretary Becky all fighting over him. It's ridiculous. Oh yeah. What? They took they, they took Becky. No, they took Becky out of the running, like, really quickly. Like, it, it was just so ridiculous. Like, the the previous issue, because it was a two-parter, like, Heather Glenn shows up, like, come on, Matt, you know, or you're late for our date. And then, like, Black Widow shows up, like, no, you're supposed to take me to the ballet. And then Heather's like, you must be mistaken. He's supposed to be going out with me tonight. And then his new handicapped secretary, Becky's like, how can I ever compete with both of those two awesome girls? And it's like, okay, a love like two girls is enough. He doesn't need three girls fighting over him, so they wrote Becky's crush out, like without any word, thankfully. But uh Yeah, Ned Leeds becomes the reporter that's used in Foswell's place. Yeah, me and Dom were joking because like both of them, you know, both of them die in the place of someone else. Foswell took a bullet for uh Jameson and Leeds took um a choke to the neck for Kingsley, unknowingly. <laughs> <laughs> We had old, yeah. Both, and, both, and both had like uh, costume identities. Yeah, both of them had costume identities. Both of them wound up working with a Fisk, which became their undoing. Um, both of them got screwed over entirely by their wives, and you know, left you know, and left like chumps. Oh no, that was that was just Ned. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, looking at the ads in this book, we do have another big full page ad for Not Brand Deck number two because. Stan Lee is really, really proud of this book because evidently no one has ever done a parody before of comic book superheroes. I think one of the main reasons he might have been proud of it is because it kind of has the look of an underground book. Just the art is not exactly, you know, trying to be realistic at all. It's all kind of being, you know, sort of cartoony. 
And um, anyway, the, the issue two features Spidey Man versus Nat Man and Rotten. And I didn't realize this was a yeah. Spidey Man appearance and not Brandeck until uh, just getting ready for this show. So we're not talking about it. We might or might not like next time. Um, I don't know what, how, much, how much there'd be to talk about. It's not a canonical appearance. No, it's not. But it might be fun to laugh at some of the jokes. I don't know. We'll look at it. If, we can look at it. And if we want to talk about it, we can. If not, then no. We then have another repeat of the uh, Baseball Fans Are Crazy Stratomatic Baseball Game ad that we used to see on a regular basis. And uh, now you can be taller instantly by wearing platform shoes. <laughs> Lifty height increase pads. We will be taller by at least two full inches for $2. Oh, two inches. Wow. Yeah. That's, uh, She'll definitely yeah. appreciate that. Or he will. She will. Whoa. <laughs> then there is a, uh, I believe, a first instance of an ad that will continue to run all the way into the 80s and 90s. Because I saw these when I was collecting comics as a kid. The famous name prizes or cash from Olympic. Mm. Where it has all the prizes on there on a big yellow background. I just I remember the Olympic logo and seeing these things all the time as a kid. I never did want to. Um, I never. Did. You didn't want to win a gun. Well, you know, I always wanted to go for the label maker or the chemistry lab. Ooh, you wanted to label everything. <laughs> well, that's, that's just one step up from going around and pissing on it. That's mine. Shh, that's mine. Shh, that's mine. Basically, yeah. It's a sales thing. You sell stuff, you get prizes. It's the same kind of fundraisers you did in school, but, you know, for yourself. A couple more hodgepodge ads I'm not going to really look at because they're just boring. That's one that says, we sell comic collectors because it's poorly laid out. Nice. <laughs> I'll buy a John Wilson. <laughs> I need to return my John Wilson. This one's, uh, this one's faulty. He keeps seeing references and obsessively running to Wikipedia to look them up. <laughs> I would buy a years. I would buy a John Wilson just to like strategically like break it. Like, okay, here's issue four of Blue Beetle. No, but I didn't read issue three. <laughs> read it in front of me and cry. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't read issue three. No. Okay, so now moving beyond the John Wilson abuse. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's just a whole special episode. We have x-ray glasses that aren't really x-rays. They're just an optical illusion. We have the same karate doll. And our uh, bullpen bulletins page has awe-inspiring announcements for you to yawn with. Evidently, their alliterative writer has taken the day off today. And uh, there's an item announcing the first two king-size specials of the year have now gone on sale. We had one last month that they were coming. Now they're here. Uh, Sergeant Fury and Millie the Model. We still have Spidey a couple months out. We also have a complaint from... PFC Bruce Long that too much merchandising is hurting Marvel's reputation. To which I say, silly Bruce, tricks are for kids because I like my comic book toys. I agree with I agree with Liz and John and Tony. And um, <laughs> he ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the spider's web has lots of letters about issue four. Hold on, I. hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm going to take you back to the bullpen bulletins. Have you seen the strip at the bottom? Let's meet 26 more MMMS members. Okay. I didn't look at it. Uh, hold on. I'm just going to check what the right counting. I see you're alive. Name number 15, John. Okay, that's 6, 10, I see it. 14, 15. Terry Larson. 
It's Eric Larson's father. Yes. Except that it's not, you freak <laughs> show. Fuck you, you it is. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, the search for Eric Larson's father on the next episode of Amazing Spider-Man. We should have asked him at uh, San Diego Comic-Con when me and Josh and John saw Eric Larson. Or no, yeah, no Josh she- John. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 sh- I should have walked up to Eric Larson and said, who's your daddy? <laughs> <laughs> With the plate of butter in your hand. Excuse me? <laughs> who's your daddy? All right, meet me at my hotel room in 20 minutes. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> no, I meant it literally. <laughs> the, um, so, yeah, the I letters... So did I. My father's at the hotel room. I was going to introduce you guys. <laughs> oh, in that case, that that's not dirty at all. Right, so you can have sex with him. And we're back at dirty. <laughs> if he just turned around and said, Oh, my dad, brilliant guy named Terry. He was a member of the Mary Marvel Marching Society. He had a letter printed in the early issues of Spider-Man. You guys would have shat yourselves on the spot. <laughs> sort of cute if you made that up. I would have fainted. <laughs> I would have needed someone to have videotaped that. So Chris Jessup wrote a letter on the spider's web. It says, Dear Stan and John, I have a question which has puzzled me for a long time. Spidey's web shooter is worn at his wrist and is activated when he touches the electrode in the palm of his hand. Then why isn't his web activated when he makes a fist? From pictures I've seen of his device, I don't see how it could not be activated when he does make a fist. Please explain. And from the uh, from the... Uh, response writer we have we've thought about it for months Chris spent countless sleepless nights tossing and turning yawning and yearning and then it came to us we found the answer it was earth shaking in its sheer simplicity soul shattering in its cold clear logic oh god in order to activate his little webby shooter Spidey does indeed touch the electrode in the palm of his hand but he has to touch it twice when he makes a fist he only touches it once just address your no prize to Stan and John, Pussycat. So that see, I, I heard that explanation before, but I that's interesting that it's this uh, addressed in the letters page. Yeah, um, I don't know that I've ever read it on page before. I mean, I might have done and just not remember it now, but um, seems like it's just one of those things that fans know that I've never actually seen used in a story. But here's the origin. In any case, do y'all know? Has it been on the page in stories before? In like source stuff. That's Where, like, Peter's, like, explaining to Mary Jane, hey, Peter, how do your powers work anyway? Well, it's funny, you ask Mary Jane. Well, you, let's explain it in the back of this amazing Spider-Man annual. <laughs> every, every, every 30th anniversary special, there was some, some story like that. But, um, I, I've, I've seen it either, like, he tests it twice, or that it takes super strength for him to use it, which only he can use, which and see doesn't they- make any sense. When they first did the diagram of his uh, of his web shooter, it looked like he was reaching down like to the bottom of the palm of his hand, farther than you would normally go if you needed to make a fist. You know, but then if you're making a fist, you're going to hit someone, and that's going to compress your hand into it anyway. Not the way I hit people. It's not okay. I mean, but if you're going to hit them properly, <laughs> <laughs> says the pacifist. So yes, that was issue fifty-two, the end of the first Kingpin story. Next ish. Now, look, we spent a lot of time making a modern-day masterpiece of the yarn which follows. We worked and slaved over it, fought with each other, argued, yelled, ranted, and raved. We did all we could to make it the most exciting, most suspenseful, most surprise-packed spectacular of the year. We brought back the most deadly, dangerous, and supremely powerful supervillain we could find. And we prepared a bombshell development at the conclusion, which ought to boot you through your birdcage. 
<laughs> so we're just too tired to give you the hard sell now. Instead, we'll merely confess that Spidey number 53, featuring the long-awaited return of Dr. Octopus, is as great as a Spider-Man yarn can be. And breathes there a true believer anywhere who doesn't know what that means? Nuff said? Okay, then, meet you next dish and be ready for anything. Yay! Yeah. He knows how to write a next issue box, doesn't he? He does, for real. And there's some nice new ads on the back as well. Yeah, there's an ad for uh, revolutionary soldiers that look exactly the same as the Civil War soldiers before. And what? Are you suggesting they're just reselling the same product under a different name? Yes, I am exactly suggesting that. Yeah, and more fishing rods. And also on the back cover, boys, girls, men, women. If you need extra money and know just ten people, you can make all this money in your spare time by selling holiday cards. Wow. Which holiday cards? Uh, they look like Christmas cards. Um, when was this issue released? In May. June. Yay! June. Forward planning. Yay! Okay. Released on the same day as Amazing Spider-Man 52, but with a cover date a month earlier, because that's how they roll, was the X-Men 35. The cover, brought to us by Dan Adkins, has all the X-Men looking rather combative as Spider-Man leaps toward them from above. With an awesome pose by Cyclops, I love that. <laughs> he looks like he's falling over. over backwards. He's doing the Matrix, come on. Very, very Kirby-esque. It is very, and, and Spider-Man's asses to the camera, which is awesome. <laughs> but uh, the team in these classic books consisted of the Angel, the Iceman, Marvel Girl, Cyclops, and the Beast. And they're all wearing yellow and blue costumes with red belts. The only caption is, a title bar across the bottom, along came a spider. Why do they have those code names? <laughs> the X-Men? Yeah. Because they're, they're superheroes and it's the rules. Well, what do you mean? Like, well, why don't they just call each other by their real names? If you if you if you see the the nineteen nineties nineteen ninety two X Men cartoon, you will see why they have their code names when when they you know Cyclops, Wolverine, Jean Grey, because they show their powers and why they have those code names with the with their names across. Why don't they just call each other by their regular names? Because it's a comic book, Josh. <laughs> yeah, but so like, what what's the worst? So, but but why? They secret identities. Secret identities. So then why in this issue when they're fighting Spider-Man do they yell each other's real names throughout the battle? <laughs> I never wow. noticed that. Oh, three oh by or, the way, just I just counted three or four times. At the end, when he at the only person whose secret identity they give a fuck about is Jeans, because <laughs> at the end they're like, Gee, oh, I mean Marvel Girl. Oh yeah, correct that one. Not Hank, Bobby, Scott, watch out. This is true. This is absolutely he, he true. Their last names, though. I cannot <laughs> deny. I just have to quickly point out, you said the cover was very Kirby esque. There's a very good reason for that. It it's a Kirby cover. I have Dan Atkins on the credit. Is it a Kirby cover? Uh, well, Comic Book DB reckons Jack Kirby and Dan Atkins. It says inked by Dan. It could be inked by Dan Atkins. Yeah, that's a that's a Kirby pencil cover. New, 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 new. Okay, um, I was looking at Mike's Amazing World, which did not have that, but that doesn't mean that um, Mike's Amazing World is correct. Mike, Mike's Amazing World. Mike's not-so-amazing world. Mwahaha! Well, also, he's been doing the Marvel stuff for a fraction of the time that Comics Grand Database has been doing it. 
open the book, we see the Banshee flying among the mountains of Central Europe. And this is before the Banshee became like a stud muffin. This is like when he used to look really old and elfin and, and kind, of, kind of ugly. And um, wore a random green box on his head. Yes, and wore a random green box on his head. He is on the lookout for the sinister group known as Factor 3. This is a mysterious group that the X-Men first heard about in issue 28 and have been hunting down ever since. Um, that was like a really long plot that's sort of nearing the end of its conclusion that's going to wrap up in 39. But we're still on the trail in this story because Factor 3 has recently captured Professor X. Oh, no! No! Is this and- when he fakes his death just to be a douche? <laughs> no, that's like 30 issues later. But yeah, that, that happens. Um, or 20, Congrats- 20... I was just... I was just testing you, X-Men. You passed. We grieved your death. <laughs> and now that I'm alive, let's cancel the book. <laughs> <laughs> Professor Xavier is a jerk. So as Banshee soars down near a mountainside, thinking that he's nearing the entrance of Factor 3, a door opens and a robotic spider emerges. It fires from an eyepiece on an eye stalk in front of its body. And it wounds Banshee, but not badly, and Banshee makes it back to his cabin to warn the X-Men of the spider protecting the headquarters of Factor 3. But he can only get out the words, Beware the spider! before he is abducted himself. Meanwhile, in New York, Peter Parker is out for a, a joyride on his motorcycle, trying to get himself lost to unwind after his run-in with the Kingpin. And we actually get a mention of that story, so yay continuity. For now. Peter pulls over to enjoy relaxing on the bank of a stream with an old, unused mill building nearby, but he sees a metal, ovular ship flying around in the sky. He changes to Spider-Man, since no one can see him out there, and as he does so, the ship lands, and out from it emerges a robot spider. That looks just like the one that shot Banshee in Europe. It has one big eyepiece on its stalk, like I said, and with that it fires at Spider-Man as well. And as he starts dodging the blasts over at the X-Mansion, Cerebro sounds off, announcing the presence of a mutant. The X-Men determine the location to be just minutes away, near the edge of the mansion property, out by the old mill. Leaving Jean Grey behind because she's a girl and can't fend for herself. I mean, uh, to be monitoring the calls in case Banshee calls in again. The rest of the X-Men head out, wondering if this has anything to do with the message they got, Beware the Spider. You can see how the contrived plot is contriving. (laughs) Contrived? Don't know what you're on about. (laughs) Spider-Man, meanwhile, has managed to get behind the spider, and they're inside the mill. He leaps on its back, grabs the eye gun, and doubles it down on itself so that the next blast it releases causes the spider itself to explode. You would think the spider would be smart enough not to shoot at its own belly, but no. The blast does actually manage to knock Spider-Man out briefly, because he was kind of hugging the thing as it exploded. And when he comes to and emerges from the mill building, he notices the ovular ship has disappeared, and the X-Men have arrived on the scene. The mutant signal location has led them to Spider-Man. The Beast suggests aloud that Spider-Man might in fact be the spider of whom the Banshee had warned, which puts all the X-Men in hostile mode. Which makes um, Angel say, Hank's right! You know, using his first name. So that's uh, secret identity count number one. (laughs) Henry McCoy. They demand that Spider-Man tell them where he's hiding the professor, 
and the angel moves in to capture him. With that, a classic Silver Age superhero slugfest is in swing. While they're fighting, back at the X-Mansion, Jean Grey notices that the mutant signal from Cerebro has gone blank. But back at the mill, the fighting continues, and both before and now, there is quite a bit of it. But I don't like to do the blow-by-blow account unless it actually relates to the story. So, skipping ahead to where Cyclops calls a timeout when his signal watch goes off. And everyone's secret identity has been blown. Z, 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 Z. <laughs> Quick, Iceman! Gee, er, Marvel Girl is contacting us. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the first time that they give a shit. He hears from Jean Grey, or Marvel Girl, I mean, that the mutant signal ceased just after they left, which means that Spider-Man couldn't be the mutant they had come to find, and therefore isn't part of the mutant menacing group known as Factor 3. Spider-Man's pretty pissed off about the whole thing, and when he hears the mention of Spider-Menace, he tells them about the robotic spider that had flown in before they did. With barely any apology, the X-Men get in their car and drive off again, leaving Spider-Man soaked from landing in the stream and basically mad at the whole lot of them. There's a little more story that deals with them following another lead to Factor 3, but I'm going to leave that off since it doesn't really concern us. And this was not nearly as cool of an issue as I remembered it being. (laughs) You remembered it being cool? Ever? I did. This is Spider-Man's guest appearance on the X-Men. I thought it was going to be awesome. And for some reason, my memory said it was, and my memory lied. The only, the only thing that I thought was noticeable was the typical Marvel romance where he says, where, where Marvel Girl is like, I'll never forget, my darling, how you wanted to shield me, protect me from harm, and I'll always love you for it, no matter what. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Yeah, they drug the Scott Jean thing out in those early issues. Like, for- like they do all the time. Oh, they, no, they, because they, they've never done it since. They're yeah, together. but I mean, like, e- even e- even more so than, like, some of the other stuff. Like, Thor- like Thor and Jane Foster, like, <laughs> that's over by now. That's been drugged out. I don't know what's going on with Pepper and Tony at this point. Uh, I'm Karen- pretty sure that they're together at this point. I think there's a, um, a retcon that puts their confession of love during the story of issue 30, but I could be wrong about that. She loves Professor X the mostest. She does love uh, Professor X because he's older and wiser and more manly. And bolder. And because everything works below the waist. You might have liked this more because, like, maybe compared to the other issues that surrounded this, you just had the euphoria of Spider-Man showing up. Yeah, this was not a good time for the X-Men. Um, <laughs> this is why it was canceled. <laughs> well, okay, really? so Stan Lee... Okay, Jack Kirby leaves with, like, issue 14. Stanley sticks around almost issue 20, and then he leaves. Roy Thomas takes over, and this is Roy Thomas's first comics writing gig, as far as I know. It was definitely his first for Marvel. And um, it's just not that good. And the art fluctuates. There's a, there's a lot of uh, swapping out of artists. The art here was not that great. So by the time you get to issue 50, and you have Neil Adams drawing, and yet forget who was writing it, but it was somebody doing a much better job. I think it was Roy Thomas. It might have been Roy Thomas again. In the case, he was getting better. Um, the stories were much better by issue 50, but by that time, the comic yeah. had already lost a lot of readers. It's and, Thomas until it's pretty much, in, until it's reprints a small amount of fill-ins for 10 or so issues. Yeah. So t- issue 20 to issue 50, that's you know 30 issues, that's two and a half years, where it just really was kind of middling. Mm. And... Um, you, when you, it's not until you finally introduce Polaris that the book starts getting good again. 
I read the first Essential of X-Men, and I thought it was awesome, so I started flipping through the second Essential before buying it, and I couldn't. Yeah. I think it's pretty much famous looking to, oh, I would like to read X-Men from the beginning. You go, yeah, it just this is how you're reading in... Uh, Hold on, where am I? You're reading, like, base 94. Start at 94. No, no, no. There's a lot of good stuff in the first 66 issues, just not during this part of it. I mean, they fight Frankenstein. They fight Blastar for no reason. They fight Count Nefaria. <laughs> I, th- I think you switched those villains. They fight Blastar. They fight Frankenstein for no reason. <laughs> for no reason was to go at the end of both of those. They graduate in, like, issue 8. Yeah, and Bobby, the Iceman, graduates at the same time as everybody else. Even though the, 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 the issue previous, they had celebrated that the school was open for a year. So after a year, all the students are now ready to graduate, yeah, including but, uh, the one who Professor, just got pubes. I thought, I thought Bobby but was Professor X. Professor X has been telepathically mind-raping him and depositing um, all the knowledge he needs. Probably. I wasn't as that's right, Peter. I was wondering what Don thought of this quote, where Peter's on his motorcycle. It's almost like fate was pulling me here. For some mysterious reason, I can't even imagine as Peter's going off of his motorcycle. Oh, that was awful. It's it like, shook my wow. head until my neck broke. You couldn't even come up with a decent reason for him, like, not even, hmm, my map's really wrong. I must have taken the wrong turning somewhere. Just, hey, I feel like driving this way, and I don't know why. It must be fate! Or... This is when you do your. It's yeah. It's called a plot line. Right. Oh yeah. Let me let me get to it. Um, <laughs> you know, it's it's funny how I just hopped on my cycle and ended up here in Westchester County. Well, it's almost like fate was putting me here for some mysterious reason. I can't even imagine. There's no sense. No sense even trying. No sense. It, it could have been better if it had just been. I had this mysterious letter from Mr. R. Thomas telling me to drive out here, but it didn't explain why, and I don't under all the X Men. He shouldn't even be on his motorcycle. He just he just be like floating there, not saying anything. And then when he lands, he starts saying, "Oh, I'm lost." The 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 one of the few good things I could say about this issue is that there were some uh, nice references to Spider-Man stories during the course of the writing. He mentions the Kingpin later on. He mentions the Hulk and the Rhino. When Spider-Man becomes a really popular guest appearing person, it's almost like he's just out of nowhere, completely segregated from the rest of his life. But, you know, you do get a sense of this being the Spider-Man that we do read in Amazing Spider-Man. And he's not overly a jerk either. He only gets yeah. really, really mad at them whenever they've been beating him up for ten pages. Yeah, he's like, oh, hi, it's the X-Men. It's, this, it's those nutty X-Men. And uh, Hank McCoy's like, get him! Because they had, they had invited him to join the team a few issues earlier, X-Men 27. And he had just been invited by the Avengers, and he was, you know, he was done with teams. So whenever he saw them again, he thought it was going to be like, oh, hey, friends. Not so much. I don't know if Marvel readers are getting tired of it at this point, or if it's like still a new exciting thing. But like, e- even even with like you know this point in the '60s, I'm sick of the whole like superheroes are in a misunderstanding and think that the other one's evil and fight. Like it's like, the whole like beware of the spy. Like it's just like oh my god, th- we're we're doing this again. It, this is so contrived. Like did people think that this was cool back then? Like loving to see their superheroes fight each other. Like was this really a cool thing? I don't know. I mean, it's either that or or they team up to fight somebody else because you have to have a fight. Well, I don't know. It's so hard to think of this as something fresh and <clears throat> original. <clears throat> um, sort of when you you pick up any comic book nowadays, like ah, get stuff from somewhere else. Right? When are they going to fight? And it's just become such a cliche. Daredevil number you, two, him and Captain America for exactly no reason. Yeah. But, yeah. You know, the first 
if you were sort of if you were in your teens in 1960 whenever and you just started buying use this as an example daredevil it's like oh, oh i like this captain america that i've seen the avengers always oh, meeting daredevil i wonder how they get on face to face it's like jla avengers captain america and daredevil and um batman you wanted to see them go toe to toe and then they did the best thing which was they go you know what this is going to take a while let's just get on with finding out what's going on yes which is like like one of the best indie company crossovers there's ever been yeah because they have rather go, like, oh, I've got together, three issues of fighting, then we'll fight together against someone, and that will be it. No, they came up with much more interesting ways of uh, running those. The uh, the question of whether Spider-Man is a mutant seems to be something that like continues to be brought up from time to time, but it was settled pretty conclusively here, I thought. Like, Cerebro has never reacted to Spider-Man, and specifically does not react to him in this story. So... I know they address. Maybe I'm just feeling about Ultimates because they do address the issue in Ultimates several times. Maybe they don't really do it in the Six One Six books very much. But oh, at, at one point, like the headline on his book was like the non-mutant superhero, like on on every issue for real. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, like the Marvel's non-mutant superhero in the '90s, around uh, when the X-Men were big. That 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 was the thing. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. When there were 25 mutant books, and Spider-Man was the only non-mutant book. Right. Even Thor. Just so, on a side note, I saw I, I saw my um my old Wizard magazines like in the download that I have for issue one. There's an ad for X Men number one on the back, and it's so funny. It's talking about like last year, I mean Spider Man number one by Todd McFarlane broke every single record in comic book sales. We were just getting started, and then like <laughs> and then it's X Men number one. <laughs> They do not see the market crash coming. There is articles in this Wizard magazine about how comic sales are awesome, collectors items. It even says like collectors item on the cover, and like, and how like the direct market is the best thing that ever happened. Cut the call before the storms. It's so sad. They're like, <laughs> you can like, you can just like imagine Marvel like drinking champagne out of their copies of X Men number one. Nice. <laughs> So, publication-wise, this is the last meeting between Spider-Man and any of the X-Men until a couple of Marvel team-up issues that came out uh, after the X-Men was cancelled as a title. It was brought back as a reprint book, but it was out. It was basically you know done for a while. Uh, but chronology-wise, they did have another meeting in Spider-Man X-Men 4-issue miniseries that came out around 2008-2009. The first issue of that falls just a bit earlier than those team-up issues, like immediately after the cancellation. It's another flashback story with like at the coffee bean with Gwen and Mary Jane and Craven the Hunter. Exactly. Yeah. They keep on going to that well of Craven the Hunter and the coffee bean every single freaking time. During a time when Craven the Hunter was not appearing in Spider-Man. That's like something driving me nuts. That like, oh, it was always Spider-Man fighting Kraven the Hunter. Like that, more than anything, starting to bug me. <laughs> in, the, in the coffee bean, while Gwen was doing science, and he had to choose between her and MJ. And Flash shows up in his army uniform, acting like a douche because he's always on leave. Which is true in the actual issues. <laughs> yeah. The uh, the letters column in this book uh, doesn't matter because it's about other X-Men issues, but I did look a few issues down the road to see if anything was said about Spider-Man. There wasn't really anything um, except that Rich Olver asked why the writers were always picking on him, and then Gerald Newsom says that Spider-Man has never looked better art-wise, which is an uh, interesting opinion. Yeah, art was not great on Spider-Man here. Especially the Peter Parker. I couldn't stand the Peter Parker. 
they look like a, look a bad mix between Ditko and Kirby, which the guy but did not get right. It it all just seems stiff and without any motion. I, I said just I don't know if it was caught on the record, but Iceman seems to have been modelled off of Crichton from about Red Dwarf Four. None yeah, of you guys seen Red some Dwarf, of the Spider-Man so. action, and I've seen like an episode of Red Dwarf. I haven't seen Crichton no. yet, though. The, the guy is uh, a robot whose head is various. He's referred to as a razor head, a novelty-shaped condom. It's basically very angular in a very chunky and awkward kind of way. And Jean Grey looks mannish, and Cyclops is. Maybe that's what turns Scott wrong. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. I, I, I like I like the new X Men. Uh, Optic visor rather than this this plain looking old one because that that one's like cool looking. Yeah. So that basically wraps up that issue and wraps up just this to point episode. Out, oh yeah. Sorry, just very quickly. There's a poem in the letters column for this issue. Um, Pen by Mark Evanier. Evanier. Oh. <laughs> Evanier. Yeah. What? He's Eric Larson's father. <laughs> well, I just thought I'd tie the episode up like that. If he sticks to his French roots, it's Evanier. If he doesn't, it's Evanier. I know it, it, it. I know they pronounce it Evanier. I've heard his name pronounced several times. Okay, so it's Evanier. But have you heard it pronounced correctly? Aha. Uh-huh. Well, have you heard, heard, heard? Well, your name no. is your name is <laughs> Stefan. If you want to pronounce it correctly. So, and yours is Jan. Well, yes, it is, but it's not Johan. I don't didn't say it was. I know. I'm just saying it's people do. So don't. <laughs> <laughs> The Greek name Ioannis that has John with an H derived from it is not my name. My name has a different uh, etymological root. But anyways, that's a whole different story. So go. Um, we want to say thank you very much to Stephen Lacey for being on here for these three episodes of Awesomeness. Hello. Uh, goodbye. Even <laughs> I was listening to that last night. You say goodbye. You say, say goodbye. goodbye. I say hello. Okay, so Stephen, um, go ahead and uh, give them one more rundown about where all you are on the internets. I can be found in several places online. My podcast, 20 Minute Longbox, the briefest and most random comic book podcast, can be found at 20minutelongbox.libsyn.com. That's 20minutelongbox.libsyn.com. And the name is accurate. Uh, I think I've got one episode that's a few seconds over the 20-minute mark. It doesn't take much time to listen to, so drop by and uh, give it a go. Uh, my Superman blog, uh, which is updated uh, quite literally once in the blue moon, is at worldofsuperman.blogspot.com. Well, I've actually got a couple of posts ready to go which it scared me when i wrote them because i hadn't done it in a while and you can also find me on twitter where i am at quiz lacy q-u-i-z-l-a-c-e-y drop by and say hi and his podcasting information might be out of date but steven is still very active on that twitter feed and you can find him every i believe every other week currently at the fantastic cast with andy leyland at the fantasticcast.com walking through the silver and now bronze age adventures of the members of the fantastic four well this has been quite an adventure finding these lost episodes reviving them putting them out there for your perusal, coupled with the announcement that these are the last of their kind. The show is coming back. The show is back. But new episodes will involve a new group of voices. One of those voices will be Stephen Lacey's friend on the Fantastic Cast and co-host and partner, Andy Leyland, as big a Spider fan as has ever been found, I'm sure. 
He is often heard over at the Fantastic Cast and Hey Kids Comics and the Palace of Glittering Delights, talking about all sorts of amazing things. Also with me will be a name that is um, hardly new to most of you. That is Michael Bailey of Superman podcasting fame and other various topics from Crisis to Crisis to Superman podcast, Radio KAL Live, and various productions over at the Two True Freaks Network, including various times on Back to the Bins and Tales of the Justice Society of America. Uh, he and I have worked together on various individual projects before. This is our first ongoing endeavor together. And the trio, I believe you will have a good time enjoying us look at some Spidey comics. We've already recorded several episodes, and they are going to continue coming out to you every other week on Friday, as often as I can make it happen. Okay, next episode, before we launch into new reviews with the new crew, I want to take the time to thank and recognize and respond to everyone who has written the show an email over the last intervening gap of time. I have no clue how long this episode is going to be. There are quite a few emails in the inbox. Okay, I feel like I owe you some sort of explanation. Uh, before before I sign off here, if 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 you're out of the loop and you don't participate in those in in, in various circles, um, the bare bones facts are that this show ended five years ago because of a personal fallout between me and the other members of the cast. Um, it is nothing that is of any sort of public interest. It is nothing that is for public consumption. It is also water that is rather far under the bridge at this point. And while uh, we have gone a long way to moving past those differences, um, the show will be continuing with a new group of panelists. So that is where we have been for the last five years. And I want to thank Josh and Don right here on the show for making this show become a reality. I have spent the last five years saying that my favoriteest thing I've ever done in podcasting was Amazing Spider-Man Classics. I enjoy listening to this show as much as I enjoy producing it, and maybe even more. And it's because of them and what they brought to the show that that is the case. I do not believe that the show will be worse without them. It will be different without them. It will not be the same at all without them. And I, I do want to thank them profusely from my heart for their contributions to the show and for their friendship at various times. Those guys really, really mean a lot to me. And I, I wouldn't be the podcaster I am without them. That being said, onward and forward, new horizons, new vistas. And so for the last time, my name is John Wilson. I'm Donovan Grant. I am neither of those people. And thank you very much for listening to Amazing Spider-Man Classics. Good night.
Spider-Man!